All right, well, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. No, I didn't get any screams. First service, first service was going nuts. <laughs> I can't tell you how many conversations I've had this week about, oh, you're preaching? What are you preaching on? Well, Romans chapter 8. And they would be like the Romans chapter 8. Like we're actually getting in to Romans chapter 8. Uh, and I'd say, yes, we are. Uh, I'm so glad that Brad has given us some time to review and remember all that he's, uh, God has done and told us through Paul in the first seven chapters of, of Romans, but I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm ready for Romans chapter 8. Now, uh, what I want to do, uh, well, first let me introduce myself. I sometimes forget to do this. My name is uh, Ryan Fultz. I'm the director of high school ministries here at Grace Fellowship Church. I get to serve our body and minister to our uh, high school students, and I, I love what I get to do. Uh, but I want to start today by making one simple statement, so we're all on the same page here. My name is Ryan, and I'm a sinner who's been saved by grace, who's working to grow in holiness along with the grace of God. And I'm glad I'm doing it here with you. I'm glad I'm doing it here in this church body. And I'm glad we love the Bible enough to go to Romans chapter 8. So we're going to start by reading uh, just 8, 1 through 4. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to just start by reading through those verses. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to get to work. All right? Does that sound good? All right. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Can we pray for God to work in our hearts this morning? God, I love your word. On a very real level, God, I, would, I don't know what I would do without your word. God, would you use it this morning in our hearts to challenge me to grow, to give me hope, where I am discouraged and to provide a great big picture of the gospel so that we can tread forward, we can endure, and we can persevere when life gets tough. Lord, we love that you work in your people. We love that we can look around ourselves in in any service on our Sunday mornings and we can see people whose lives have been changed by the gospel. We can see people who are working to grow. We can see people who are still struggling with sin but want to honor you and, and are growing in holiness. God, continue to do a great work like that in us. May you change our hearts. May you continue to make us new. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, Romans chapter 8 is quite the chapter. In many ways, it could be considered the pinnacle of the entire book of Romans. But what we're going to do today is we're going to just break down the first few verses. We've got plenty of time to work through this chapter, but we're going to look at the first few verses. And I just want to give you three, what I'm calling glorious truths for you and for me. These are glorious truths 
that we as believers get to claim. These are truths that we can hold on to when the going gets tough. Friends, I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm in there with you. Life is hard. Sin is everywhere. We see it around us and we see it in us, condemning us, telling us we're not worthy of Christ. Well, what do you do when struggles or trials hit your home? What do you do when you feel like, I just can't catch my breath? What do you do when you feel so overwhelmed by your own sin, you can't even think straight? What do you do, or where do you run, when you feel worthless, when you feel like giving up? Well, I promise you today, we're going to talk about three glorious truths that you can run to in those moments. That as a believer, these are three things you can claim. Now for some of you, before we we dive into this, some of you are not believers and you're here today. And we're so glad that you are here. As you hear these things that we talk about, I want to ask you to think deeply about these things. Number one, are these things that you have? Number two, are these things that you need? Do you see your need for a savior in Romans chapter 8. But if you're a believer here this morning, this is a good one. <laughs> Brad was actually jealous that I get to do it. <laughs> but I think he's jealous. He doesn't like to give up his pulpit anyway, so who am I? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here's the first glorious truth that we can run to. It is this. Brother and sister, you are no longer condemned. Look at verse 1 with me there in chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. This is such good news. I don't know where all of you are this morning. I don't know what's going on in your heart and in your mind. But I can't think of a better place to be than to remember there's no condemnation. I love how Paul, in this moment, he says, therefore, now. This is an emphatic, kind of declarative conclusion, where he's kind of looking back to everything that's happened in all of Romans, and and kind of putting his stamp on all that's been said. Chapter 6 of Romans reminds us that we're no longer slaves to our sin. Chapter 7 reminds us that The law has its limitations and that we ourselves still struggle to listen and obey. The back end of Romans 7 is that famous part of Paul where he says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't want to do. I end up doing. It's that that famous uh, moment of I am stuck. I can't seem to live rightly. And this is Paul then slamming the table and saying, if you are a believer, you are not condemned. Any longer. No more condemnation. Now, I'm so glad we did some review, but I want to spend just a couple moments really quickly. When we say we're no longer condemned, that automatically means at some point in time we were, right? To be able to say we're no longer condemned, we have to come to grips with the fact that at one point in time we lived under condemnation. 
Uh, I appreciate Romans 5 for how, the, how it lays that out. Romans 5, uh, 16 says, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Romans 5, 18 says, Therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And Romans 5 shows us that we are condemned through first and foremost the sin that has come into the world by Adam, but it also reminds us we are born sinners and we sin from the beginning of our days. That's why Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not exempt from that all. Every one of us is a sinner. Growing up in sin, living for sin. But Romans 8.1 is not about the bad news. Romans 8.1 is about the good news. It's about that condemnation that's no longer ours to bear. So when we, when we see this word condemnation, we have to understand this word. This is a, a judicial word. It's a legal term. When you're being accused of wrongdoing and you're guilty of wrongdoing, in our system of, of uh, justice, you're supposed to be penalized somehow. Whether it's time in jail or fines or whatever it is. When you have done wrong, you've broken the law, you get punished, right? Well, this is God declaring you not guilty. Now, here's what's important. It's, it's not just simply that I've been accused of, of, of things that I've never done. It's not that, that, you know, someone who's being falsely accused in the legal system, working through the process, being found not guilty because they never did it. No, this is you, fully condemned by your sin, then Christ stepping into your life and saying, not guilty anymore. Declaring you not guilty. And we have to stop for a moment and look at who is this for? Look at verse 1. It's not just for anybody. It's not you are not guilty because you are a person. It is specifically for those who are what? In Christ. It doesn't say for those who are pretty good people. It doesn't say for those who have only messed up a couple of times. Or for those who have earned all of their righteousness. That's not an option for us in Scripture. It says, for those who are in Christ, fully dependent on the work of someone else. And we get to stand there and think about this verse when it says you're not condemned. You are not guilty. You are not guilty. How is this even possible I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all know in the depths of our heart, our sin is there. We all know that we are overwhelmed by our sin in many, many ways. Well, I love how Marcus Lone explains it in his book, The Hope of Glory. Uh, he says it like this. He says, he was for us in the place of condemnation. We are in him where all condemnation has spent its force. So what we have a picture of is, is we are not under our condemnation anymore. We're actually in Christ. And all the condemnation that we have earned has already been spent on Christ. In fact, so what that means is when we stand before our maker at the end times, 
when he asks us to give an account for all that we've done, when we then point to Christ and say, I've got nothing, Jesus is the one who saved me. I can't do this on my own, but Jesus has saved me. What is happening in that moment is God is looking at you, recognizing the wrath of God that you have stored up for yourself has already been taken. It's already been bored out. In fact, there's nothing left to bear for you. There's nothing left to accuse you because it's been paid for by Christ on the cross. It is so incredibly hard to think about this in the moment when our sin stares us in the face, isn't it? When our sin condemns us, when we condemn ourselves, it is so, so hard. One of the ways that God uh, kind of exposes my heart and shows me my sin is through my family, right? I don't know whose idea it was to stick five sinners in a house and expect everything to go all right. Well, honestly, God didn't expect it to go all right. He planned that you would grow and change in your family. This past Friday, I, uh, is, is, Fridays are normally an off day for most uh, pastors and directors here at our church. We take Fridays trying to, trying to keep it as our family days and spend time with our family. And so Tabitha had a couple things to do. She needed to go to the dentist and get her teeth cleaned. That's, uh, and then um, she was going to go do some grocery shopping and be back around lunch. So I had all three of our kids um, for the morning, which is not, not usually a problem. Um, we get to spend some time together. I get to kind of have the whole morning with them uh, in a way that I don't usually get to. And we'd had a great morning, we'd had breakfast, and we had spent time sitting and reading uh, God's Word together and praying together. It was kind of one of those, oh, so sweet moments that you have sometimes, where it's like, everything is working right, everything is going right. And then, right? <laughs> and then. <They're> all, <laughs> I don't know how things can go from, like, perfection to uh, utter destruction in 30 seconds, but they seem to frequently. And so I remember just, we had just finished, uh, we were, I was setting the kids up in different things and Isaiah had kind of romped over to the, to the bookshelf and he's just tearing books off the shelf, just going nuts. And Annabelle, she, she has dress up in the corner of her, uh, of her uh, room where she can pull off dresses and things. Um, in a matter of 30 seconds, she, she created about four hours worth of cleanup by pulling everything out because she can't put it all away herself and... And then Daniel, he had to go to the restroom to deal with something. And, and so I was just like, everything's going wrong. I can't, you stop, you stop, you stop. And uh, this happy, fun-loving dad who just spent time in God's word turned into the Hulk. I said, Isaiah, you stop now. Annabelle, get cleaning up. Daniel, you get to the bathroom. And before you know it, I was a mess. Uh, in that moment, they were just a frustration to me. They weren't doing their part of the deal, right? So God exposing my own sin. I'm so glad that he does that in the moment where I've, I've totally blown it. And then it's like, yeah, you were wrong, weren't you? Yeah, I know. So I went to my kids and asked for, for forgiveness. And Daniel was still sitting on the toilet at the time. So, hey, you got to do it wherever you got to do it. So <laughs> I, I went in there and, you know, he's still sitting and we're talking. And, I, you know, Daniel, will you please forgive daddy? I should not have lost my temper with you. Uh, that's not who I want to be. That's not what Christ wants me to be. And I want to continue to uh, handle you with grace and with uh, patience. Uh, even, even when you sin or when it's just childishness, I want to honor the Lord. So it was good. Uh, we've we've kind of built a pattern of, of 
of trying to deal with our sin in the moment. And so, God, so Daniel looks back and, you know, yes, I forgive you, Daddy. I love you. And, you know, it just about makes you cry every time. And so I walk out of the bathroom and I, and I go to check on Isaiah, who's not pulling books off the shelf anymore, thank the Lord. And uh, Annabelle is, is starting to think about cleaning up. Well, then I walk back into the bathroom, not 30 seconds later, and my son is cleaning up, right? Do you guys know what it looks like when kids clean up sometimes? just means they make a bigger mess in the bathroom. And so I walk in, and I'm not going to describe it. It's messy. And all in the moment, all I wanted to do was him to stop. But in my flesh, what I said is, Daniel, what are you doing? And I'm right back where I started. So I had to go again, still in the bathroom. I don't know what it is about the bathroom. Where I had to say, Daniel, Daddy blew it again, didn't I? It wasn't even a minute. Will you please forgive me? Can we pray and and ask God to keep help and grow, Daddy? In those moments, I I remember I went went from there, uh, everything finished up, and I sat on the couch, and I just felt like a wretch. I felt like a wretch. Whose idea was it to give me three kids? (laughs) And I remember sitting there just like, God, I handled that. Poorly, but then I, I, I think I handled it honorably by going and confessing my sin and asking for forgiveness. And then not 30 seconds later, I'm doing the same thing. What is going on here? Those are moments that I call Romans 8-1 moments. What I mean by that is when I'm accusing myself, when my sin is accusing me, uh, when I'm wrestling with my, uh, my sin, I need to sit down and just say, there's no condemnation for me. It doesn't negate the wrongdoing. I, I need to continue to grow. But I need to be able to sit under the weight of Romans 8.1 and say, God, I'm so thankful I am no longer condemned. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is that accuses you. I don't know if it's, um, you know, I didn't get time in the word this morning. God must think I'm awful. I don't know if it's the, you struggle with a coworker and being patient with them. I don't know if it's your spouse or I don't, I don't know what it is. In fact, for most of us, it's a lot of things. But what I do know is this, if you are in Christ, those don't matter. What I mean by matter is they hold no condemnation for you anymore. It's already been spent. That's good news, guys. That's good news for you and for me. Because when condemnation, when sin rears its ugly head, we get to repent, we get to confess, and then we get to sit in the gospel. Knowing that God sees you perfectly righteous because of his son. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to, to no longer bear condemnation. Throughout today, what I want to do is I want to kind of set up an illustration to kind of help communicate each one of my points. And it's kind of be a running illustration that we add pieces to. Now, I know illustrations don't, you can't critique them from all points of view because they break down, right? It's just a picture. Um, but I want, to, I want to just do this today because I think it was helpful. It was helpful for me as I was thinking through this. All three of these glorious truths uh, come together. They're not one separated by another. Uh, We get all of these in Christ. And so I want to try to illustrate that to you with uh, a little bit of a story. So let's say there's this this boy 
who's born into a very, very poor family, okay? He uh, is raised in kind of a, a family and in a community where if you don't have what you need or have what you want, you go and take it from somebody else. Whether it's the local grocery store or somebody you know on the other street, um, if you need it, you go get it, and it doesn't really matter if it's somebody else. He's raised in a, in a pattern of theft. That's what he does. That's all he knows. So he grows up to be an adult. That's, he's practiced it for year upon year upon year, contributing to the family, but also to his own self. But at some point in time, it caught up with him. He was caught. He went to court. They laid out all the things that he had stolen, let's just say over the last few years. He was sentenced to time in jail and he was put away, locked up in jail. Then let's say someone came along who wanted to take his place. Can you picture this with me? Somebody walking to the door of the jail. The jailer opens the door. One person's walking in saying, I got this. One person walking out. Then declared not guilty, removed from his record. Can you imagine the gift that that is? What a great gift. But let me, let me then ask you this question. What do you think this young man's going to return to if all he gets is his penalty paid? What do you think? I think he's going to go back to whatever he's known best. If all we've done is erase that uh, condemnation, that penalty that he should have bore, if we've gotten him out of jail, the record is gone, if that's all we do, I think he's walking straight back to what he's always known. And we are just like that. If God had only removed our guilt, we would always return to whatever we've known. But he doesn't just do that. And so this brings us to uh, what I'm calling the glorious truth number two. This brings us to this truth that you are now free from the power of sin and death. Not only are we freed from the penalty, but we're also freed from the power. Take a look at verse two in Romans chapter eight with me. Verse two says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, we've got to talk a little bit about this word law. Um, in this context, we're not spe- speaking specifically of the Jewish law or the Mosaic law. We're not talking about Ten Commandments, sacrifices, rituals, all those things. What this word here means is actually uh, principle or binding authority. So what I want to do is I want to read it again and I want to place those words in it so we can get our mind around this verse and what, is, what it's saying. It says, For the binding authority of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the binding authority of sin and death or of sin that leads to death. We see two different laws pitted against each other in this scripture. One being the law of the spirit or the binding authority of the spirit. The other being the law of sin or the binding authority of sin. And he is telling us right here that the authority of sin has been broken for you if you are a believer. 
One person said it this way. It says, it's, it's like being liberated out of the kingdom of, uh, of sin and its power and being adopted into the kingdom of God where sin holds no power over us anymore. Let's read verse 3 because it continues the same idea. Verse 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh. Now law right here is the Mosaic law. That's what this word is communicating in the context. He's saying something super important. I think we sometimes uh, have a hard time thinking about the law and how it applies to our life or doesn't apply to our life. Um, specifically the, you know, the law we see in the Old Testament. But what I love about this is Paul's making an important point to us. He is telling you and telling me that the law has proved incapable of saving people. It's proved unable to rescue you from your sin. No ability to do that. No ability. If you turn in your copy of scriptures to Hebrews 10, I want to show you what I mean by that. Uh, because this is really important. We have to understand that at the end of the day, no amount of obedience to a law, no amount of uh, obedience to religious systems, not sacrificing two extra bulls, would have actually taken care of our sin. Hebrews 10, verse 1 and 2. It reads like this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Can't do it. Verse 2 says, Otherwise, we, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? What he's saying here is that sacrifices in the legal system could actually pay for your sin they would have done it once and be done but there was a reason they had to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back because it did not offer the life that they needed did not offer uh, the 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 resurrection life the the paying for your guilt and the breaking the power of sin that we so desperately needed in verse 10 of that same chapter it says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Then listen to these three words. Once for all. Through Christ. If we don't get it by the end of verse 4 today, uh, it's not for lack of God trying to get, help us to understand it. When you see in verse Two and, uh, and in three, the role of Christ Jesus and, and his own son, uh, Christ Jesus, the son, doing uh, what the law could never do. We have no option. We have no uh, option but to recognize that he's fulfilled the law. He did what, as you see right in your scripture, what the law could not do in rescuing a people from their sin. He became that substitute that bore our guilt but also broke the power of sin. So what that means for you and me, if you're a believer today, you don't have to keep sinning. You don't have to because you are no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to keep on sinning. That's 
One of my, no, I can't say one of my. It is singularly my favorite verse in all of the scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him, so God made Christ, who knew no sin, so free of sin. And he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That glorious truth tucked away in there is that Christ, who was perfect, lived a perfect life on our behalf so we don't have to bear the weight of our sin anymore. Both the penalty and the power. Uh, Doug Moo, who wrote a commentary on the book of Romans, I'm going to use him a couple of times through the end of the, uh, the morning, uh, and he said it well when he said it this way, in executing the full sentence of condemnation against sin, God effectively removed sin's ability to dictate terms for those who are in Christ. The condemnation that our sins deserve has been poured out on Christ, our sin bearer, and that is why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that's the beautiful part of this. I love that it says that sin no longer gets to dictate terms. It doesn't rule us. It's not in charge anymore. The power has been broken. So let's return to our our man that we've uh, we've kind of set up this illustration about. So he has been saved. He has been, he's had his slate wiped clean, right? But if he's returned to the world just like that, I I can almost promise you he's just going to continue doing what he's always done. So let's say that he takes some counseling on the way out of jail. Now I know counseling doesn't save people and and counseling can't truly just break the power of sin. It's all in the gospel, but bear with me. Let's say he goes through counseling and he comes out of counseling uh, with the sin uh, of theft totally broken in his life. He's got no desire for it. He doesn't have to do it anymore. He doesn't rule his life anymore. But is he now enabled to go and contribute to, to society yet? Has he been given all that he needs to go and contribute to society and maybe fulfill his purpose? I don't think he's quite there yet. And I think God knows that, that we actually needed something else other than our penalty paid and the power broken. And this brings us to our third truth that we needed, that this man in our illustration needed, is that you can now walk according to the Spirit because you have the Holy Spirit. So not only have you had the penalty taken away, not only has the power been broken, but you've been given the third part of the Trinity to help you grow in holiness, to help you walk in a way that honors the Lord, to make real decisions in real moments to please God and not yourself. That's good news. Now, if we're not careful, if you look at this text here, verse 4, it says, in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you're not careful, we can think that walking according to the Spirit is what's fulfilled the law here. That's not what it is. He's saying we live in light of the sacrifice that's already fulfilled the law. 
And then we walk in the spirit because of what God has done for us. That's what this is saying here in the context. It's not that you have perfectly obeyed. It's that Christ has obeyed on your behalf. He died a death on the cross so that you don't have to live for your sin, but you can walk in the spirit. Doug Moo again says it like this. He says, rather... Christian behavior is the necessary mark of those in whom this fulfillment takes place. God not only provides in Christ the full completion of the law's demands for the believer, but he sends his spirit into the hearts of believers to empower a new obedience to his demands. You were given the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you something? If you're a believer, it doesn't matter how old you are uh, in in your, in your faith, it doesn't matter how young you are in real life, there's no such thing as a junior varsity Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you, walking with you, helping you see the scriptures, helping you obey the Lord. Now, I know. I've, I think I've been there myself. Many times we hear this and we say, you know what, but I'd much rather have Jesus with me all the time. You know, if only Jesus would walk beside me and he could tell me what to do and not do. I could go to him for counsel. He could help me grow. If I could just have Jesus, if I could just have lived with Jesus, I, I would be a different person. There's a major problem with that line of theology. Number one, it's what Jesus actually says himself. If you can turn in your copy of scriptures to John chapter 16, what I want you to see is you have the Holy Spirit and Jesus thought you needed the Holy Spirit, not himself. You'll see what I mean in just a second. John 16, we're going to read verse 7 and then we're going to read 13 through 15. Are we there? John 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Keep going in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is looking you in the face and saying, you needed this Holy Spirit. And I need to leave this earth because you need to get the Holy Spirit. Do we, do we actually understand what we have in the Holy Spirit? I think he, honestly, he's the forgotten part of the Trinity. He's kind of something we set aside and, oh yeah, and the Holy Spirit. But you have, if you're a believer, the third part of the Trinity dwelling in you. Seriously? We get the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a little bit more what it looks like to live by the Spirit. But I want to just give you a glimpse from Galatians 5. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. It's there in a nutshell. The Spirit helps us 
walk in holiness, to not gratify the desires of our flesh, but to, to live for the glory of God. So that means when your spouse sins against you, you can choose grace. That means when your kids frustrate your plans for the day, you can be patient and loving. That means when your friend says something hurtful to you and it's tearing you up inside, you can respond in kindness even when you don't want to. And when you talk with a coworker who doesn't know Christ, you can share the gospel because you have the Holy Spirit. He's living in you. You can make real decisions every day to honor the Lord. And that's walking by the Spirit. Saying, tied into his word as he infuses you with life and courage and grace. I'm looking forward to talking more about that in a few weeks. So let's return one more time to this man we've set up. Let's return one more time to this man many of us would call a thief. And as we do this, I need to ask the worship team to come back up so we can close in song. So we've got this this man who has been given a great gift because he's been forgiven. He had a substitute take his place, right? But then he had somebody come alongside him who helped him and freed him from his desire to continue to steal but then oh just imagine then he's given a friend who will walk by him every step of the way who helps him get a job and coaches him in how to perform well who helps him go to the grocery store for the first time using real money to pay for the things that he'd formerly stolen that's the total package that we see here When he has that helper, that friend, he is much like you and me in all that we get from the gospel. You haven't just been rescued from your condemnation, although you have. You haven't just had the power of sin break, broken in your life, but you have. You also have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, empowering you to walk in holiness. Now I know we still struggle with sin. What do we do with that? We run to God. We run to the Holy Spirit asking for help. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you will look less like sin tomorrow than you do today because He is vested in you. He is working in your life. Do you believe that? I can't make you believe that. Now, if you're not a believer, you've heard, um, I think in, in a nutshell, you've gotten to hear the gospel this morning, that you are a sinner in need of grace, and that you needed someone to come into your life and rescue you from the penalty you've earned, from the power you, uh, of sin in your life, and, from, uh, and to rescue you to the purpose you have been given through the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you today, you're not too far gone. There's nothing in your life uh, that is too far gone. You can come to Christ and have salvation. It's a free gift to you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And then I'd like us to stand one more time and sing together to this great God who has 
declared over us as believers, there is no condemnation. He's declared the power of sin has been broken and he's declared that we have the Holy Spirit working in us to make us like Christ. God, I thank you. I thank you for this truth. These three glorious truths in our life. God, would you help us to Live these out every day. Would we run to your word when we're struggling? Would we run to your word when, we're, when our sin is condemning us or when our own mind is condemning us or seeking to condemn us? And God, will you restore us uh, to that place where we recognize and remember there's no condemnation for me. It's all been born on the cross by you, Jesus. So we thank you for that. And it's in your name that we pray.